the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. If God just ignored it, pretend it wasn't there, and we suffered no consequence, there was no punishment for rebelling against him or sinning against him, then it would be as if God condoned it. Well, God is righteous and perfect and holy and just, and he cannot allow sin and rebellion to go unpunished. So we're all guilty before him. The Bible says that all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God, the perfect standard of God. So sin must be punished. Our rebellion must be dealt with by a just and holy God. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Hebrews. God can't allow sin to go unpunished because it would undermine and betray all that He's defined as good. Holiness can only be if it's established and enforced. Pastor Gary teaches you today why God must discipline those who refuse Him. You learn that just as a parent hates to discipline their kids, God hates to discipline His children as well. He has no desire to turn you or anyone else away, yet He must if you refuse him. His kingdom cannot remain holy, nor can he reign if he simply accepts and ignores sin without atonement. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Hebrews chapter 10 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. The writer of Hebrews is constantly comparing through this whole letter Jesus to other people and other things that are inferior. And the reminder is don't ever settle for anything or anyone less, that Jesus is best. And it's not that when he compares Jesus to some people of the Old Testament and to some practices that he's saying those things are necessarily wrong or bad. He's just saying that Jesus is infinitely better. And so, for example, as we've been going through the book of Hebrews, you'll remember these these superlatives that are uh, often used throughout Hebrews, better, superior, greater, Jesus is better, superior, and greater than. And uh, so far, we've been looking at the first nine chapters where he's better than the prophets, he's better than the angels, he's better than Moses, he's better than Joshua, he's better than the high priest. And he's better than the tabernacle. We talked last week, I, I showed some slides about the tabernacle, how it was designed, how Jesus has given us access to the Father, and uh, 
and thus the tabernacle is not necessary, the the sacrificial system is not necessary, the priesthood is not necessary, because Jesus is our high priest who ever lives to make intercession for us. And so no earthly priest and no earthly priestly system is necessary anymore in order for us to get to God, because we get to God through His Son Jesus, who is fully God, fully man, the perfect intermediary between God and men. But remember that as the writer is writing to, and again, we don't know who the actual writer is. It doesn't matter because the Holy Spirit is the ultimate writer. Uh, but whether it's Paul or somebody, it doesn't really matter. But the writer to the Hebrews, it's intended to particularly minister to Hebrews, to Jewish believers in Jesus, that so much was against them in, in, the, in terms of they were being pulled historically, emotionally, and traditionally back into all of the Judaic practices. And when, when Jesus dies once and for all for our sins on a cross, well, it's hard to kind of make that shift. And so the writer of Hebrews recognizes this, that it's, it's difficult for you to recognize that the prophets are good, but Jesus is better, and that angels are good, but Jesus is better. Moses, the, the great prophet, was, was great. He was good, but Jesus is better. Joshua, and so forth. And so this is, you know, the context of the recipients of this letter. They, they are tempted to fall back into a religious system instead of maintaining a relationship with Jesus. And so there's exhortations here, there's warnings, there's, there's you know, strong uh, urging from the writer for us to just remember, listen, there's some good things, but nothing in comparison to Jesus. And so today, as we look here into chapter 10, the next thing on the list is that he's better than, greater than, superior to the law and the sacrifices. So that's what chapter 10 is going to be primarily about. And in order to kind of set it up for us, I, I want us to understand the context here going into chapter 10. I'm going to, I've got a little bit of a lengthy introduction before we actually get here. So don't worry, we're going to eventually get here and hopefully even get through the whole chapter. But we need to understand, and this is basic, I know this is somewhat 101, but for those of you who may not be familiar, look, let's just agree, right? God is righteous, we are unrighteous. God is perfect, we are imperfect. Uh, God is sinless, we are sinful. And thus there's a problem because we can't get to God who is holy and righteous and perfect and sinless with us ourselves being sinful and imperfect and unrighteous. And so how do you get to God? Well, the old covenant, and so let me just put up a few things here here for you. The old covenant, as, as it is expressed in the Old Testament, was to appease, appease the wrath of God uh, by sacrificing an innocent life that is an animal for a guilty life that is the worshiper. And so God made gracious provision, you know, understanding this about His, of course, being perfect and holy, and we, everything not, right? We're not holy, we're not perfect, we're not righteous. Uh, God makes gracious provision to bridge that gap. And under the Old Covenant, which is thus revealed in, the, in our Old Testament, uh, God makes this provision of exchange, that I will accept a substitution for you, meaning the guilty worshiper, and that if you offer an innocent animal, a lamb or a goat, you bring that to the sacrifice at the temple, then I will accept that innocent life in exchange for your guilty life. 
So it was, it was a system of exchange, a substitution, a sacrifice. And by this then, it appeased the wrath of God. Now, why would God have wrath? Why would he be angry? Because sin must be punished. God cannot ignore rebellion against him. Otherwise, then, he would be condoning it by default. He would be condoning our sin by default. If God just ignored it, pretend it wasn't there, and we suffered no consequence, there was no punishment for rebelling against him or sinning against him, then it would be as if God condoned it. Well, God is righteous and perfect and holy and just, and he cannot allow sin and rebellion to go unpunished. So we're all guilty before him. The Bible says that all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God, the perfect standard of God. So sin must be punished. Our rebellion must be dealt with by a just and holy God. But at the same time that God is aware of our sin and never condones our sin, he makes provision for atoning of our sin. And that atonement under the old covenant came by way of an innocent life, an animal, being offered in exchange of a guilty life, the worshiper. Is everybody with me so far, right? Okay, now, translate then into the new covenant, the new covenant, which is expressed in the New Testament, what we have in our Bibles as New Testament from Matthew to Revelation, was to satisfy the wrath of God by sacrificing an innocent life, Jesus, for a guilty life, us, as a permanent solution once for all. Everybody understand this great difference now. So the, the theory is still the same. God, he has wrath because sin cannot go unpunished. Otherwise, he would not be a just and holy God. But now what he, what he explains to us and what he expresses, the personification of his love for us through the cross, through Jesus, is that same principle. I will accept an innocent life in exchange for your guilty life. And the innocent life under the new covenant is Jesus, not an animal anymore. It's Jesus. We're all the guilty worshipers. And through faith in Jesus as that innocent life in exchange for our guilty lives, we can be saved. And thus, there's a permanent solution to the sin problem. And therefore, in in Hebrews, five times this phrase is used once for all. Because it's, it's signifying unto us that Jesus is not just this you know, addition to the, to the old covenant, that he is a fulfillment of the old covenant and that through Christ we can be forgiven and cleansed and sin is dealt with once for all. Now I'm going to point out these phrases to you. If you want to turn, you can otherwise just listen. I'm going to read the verses to you, but five times that phrase once for all is used. So Hebrews seven, if you, if you want to turn fine or not, just listen, but Hebrews seven, some of you might want to turn just so you can underline every time these This phrase is used five times in the book of Hebrews, and it all relates to the same topic about how when Christ dies, we're forgiven through faith in him once for all. So Hebrews 7 verse 27 says this, unlike the other high priests, he, that is Jesus, does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. See that there. It's Hebrews 7.27. Then go to Hebrews 9.12. In Hebrews 9.12, it says, He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. 
Remember last week we talked about how the tabernacle, which later was replaced by the temple but had the same layout, had within it the first chamber was called the holy place, and then the chamber after that was called the most holy place or the holy of holies. The high priest, the earthly high priest, could only go into the Holy of Holies once a year on the day of what's still on the Jewish calendar is called Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And the high priest would go behind this curtain, behind this this veil, into the Holy of Holies once a year with the blood of an animal to sprinkle it on the mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant, to make atonement first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. Well, the writer of Hebrews says here in 9.12 that unlike the earthly high priest, Jesus goes into the presence of God when he rose from the dead, ascended back into heaven on the basis of his own sacrifice and his own blood, not the sprinkling of animals, obtaining eternal redemption. Also there in Hebrews 9, look at verse 26. Hebrews 9, 26. Then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world, but now he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. And then go back here to chapter 10, where this phrase is used twice. In chapter 10, verse 2, it says, If it could, would they not have stopped being offered? Meaning, in the context, we'll see it in a moment. For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But he's comparing to the fact that they had to repeat the sacrifice every single year on Yom Kippur because it wasn't sufficient to cleanse them of their sins once and for all. It was just temporary. And, and then in Hebrews 10.10, 10, it says, And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the blood of Jesus Christ once for all. Once for all. Now, the reason... I intentionally underlined and italicized the word appease and satisfy because the difference between Old Covenant and New Covenant is huge in that under the Old Covenant, this was just temporary. And so it would appease the wrath of God, but it would not satisfy it. The only full satisfying of the wrath of God happened through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so thus, His sacrifice, Jesus' sacrifice, was once for all, and it satisfied completely the wrath of God. Now, is it once for all meaning once for all time, or does it mean once for all who believe? Yes is the right answer. Yes, that's the right answer. Yes, it's for all time, and it's for all who believe. Once for all. Now let's pick it up here in chapter 10 with that background because he's going to talk here now about moving into chapter 10 about the law and about the sacrifices because here's the natural question that's going to arise in the minds of his readers, the initial recipients of this letter. Well, if all of this is true, then Jesus has fulfilled the old covenant and his sacrifice is once for all, and the priestly system is not needed, the sacrificial system is not needed, then what good is the law or the sacrifices at all? And so here in chapter 10, verse 1, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. By the way, circle the word shadow there. Obviously, a shadow reflects Realities. The shadow itself is just a reflection, but it reflects the greater reality. Okay, you know, if you on a sunny day, your shadow 
you know, is cast onto the sidewalk, you know, I hope you don't talk to it. It's not, it's just, you know, it's just a reflection. It's, you know, it's an image of you, but it's not the real you. And so he's saying here that the law is a reflection of something important, but it's, it's not of the greatest value. And the greatest value, of course, is Christ. It's not, it's not the law, it's Christ. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are to come, that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifice repeated endlessly year after year, this is Yom Kippur, this is the animal sacrifice, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could... Would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it is impossible, impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. You see that. So the writer here is making this uh, emphasis on the fact that if that sacrificial system and the slaughtering of animals was sufficient to cleanse you once and for all, then why do you keep going back year after year? You go back year after year because that's what the law says you need to do. Why does the law say that? Because it's insufficient. It, it only is a temporary method of atonement. It's a temporary method. That's all God ever intended it to be. The, the sacrificial system was ultimately pointing to the one eternal sacrifice for our sins, which was Jesus. Which, again, as I mentioned last Wednesday night, it's the reason why John the Baptist, when he sees Jesus approaching him to be baptized in water, that John the Baptist says, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. John the Baptist recognized that Christ is the ultimate Lamb. He's the ultimate sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. This is why Paul in his letter to the Corinthians talks about Christ is our Passover lamb. So there's this constant comparison to Old Testament animal sacrifice. Jesus comes along, fulfills it, replaces it, dies on a cross once and for all for our sins. But now, then this begs the question, well, if, okay, good, then maybe the law isn't even necessary anymore. Because the law was just a shadow, was pointing to better things that are to come, being Christ. And the animals aren't needed anymore because Jesus Christ dies on a cross. So what good is the law anymore at all? Now, you'd be surprised the number of people even today who question the necessity of Old Testament Scripture. Why do we even need to read the Old Testament? I mean, it just seems like it's the angry God, you know? Why don't we just stick with New Testament? That's the gentle Jesus, you know. And, but Old Testament was like, you know, God didn't have his coffee in the morning or something. He just seems to be really grouchy and just, you know, and killing people and all this kind of... And I hear all this kind of nonsense about the way people evaluate. Listen, what we need to understand is there's a significant reason that we need to still understand our Old Testament Scripture. Let me break this down for you, but before I do, I'm going to quote, actually. I'm not going to name him because I don't think it's important for me to, you know, call out different people that I personally have issues with, but I'm just going to let his words speak for itself, and you can discern for yourself. But there is a pastor uh, in uh, the country who pastors one of the largest churches in America, and some of you will know this, and you can Google it later. I just don't think it's necessary for me to have to call him out by name, but... Um, He's getting shredded right now in social media, and I hope maybe he'll, he'll retract or clarify his statements. But just this week, he was writing in Relevant Magazine and said this, which relates to our very topic, quote, participants in the new covenant, that's Christians, 
are not required to obey any of the commandments found in the first part of their Bibles. Participants in the new covenant are expected to obey the single command Jesus issued as part of his new covenant, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. This new commandment is a replacement for everything in the existing list, including the Big Ten, meaning the Ten Commandments. Continuing quoting, just as his new covenant replaced the old covenant, Jesus' new commandment replaced all the old commandments, end quote. This is a pastor of one of the largest churches in the country, and he just wrote this in Relevant Magazine. Now, he's dead wrong. And I'm going to tell you, though, why it is that some people think like this. And it's tragic. And again, I, I hope and pray that he clarifies it and, and, or retracts it. Um, here's what we need to understand about the significance of the law. And I'm going to put these two particular points up so that everybody understands. Okay, The law as a means of making me righteous, no. But the law as a means of expressing God's righteousness, yes. Okay, This is the reason why we don't do away with the commandments and we still cherish all of the commandments. You know, and the Ten Commandments is just a summary of God's commandments, so just start there. But this is important to understand about the importance of the law because before I read further in chapter 10, I don't want anybody to think, as some people even do today, case in point, the pastor I just quoted, that the law is unnecessary. Because now Jesus died on a cross, and so why do we even need our Old Testaments? And it's, it's not about the law anymore, and it's not about all those regulations. We need to understand the significance in the context of the New Covenant. So let me break it down very simply. The Old Testament is broken into three aspects of law. You have the dietary, the ceremonial, and the moral aspects of the law. Now, I will tell you in full disclosure that a strict Orthodox Jew would disagree with me on that statement because a strict Orthodox Jew would say, Gary, all of the commandments are the moral code. Okay. But strictly speaking, which I I agree, but strictly speaking, when you look at the various commandments, there are some commandments that have to do with matters of eating and diet and what are proper foods to eat and what you're, you're not supposed to eat, what you shouldn't eat. There are also ceremonial aspects of the law, different feasts and festivals and different ordinances about uh, what to wear, what not to wear, uh, length of hair and all this kind of stuff. So there are dietary and ceremonial aspects of the law. And then there's the moral code of the law. Now, Scripture tells us, and I'm going to read the Scripture verses, that we are no longer obligated to maintain the dietary and ceremonial aspects of the law, but we are still obligated to obey and and to uh, carry out the moral aspect of the law. So I gave you the verses up there on the screen. I'll just read them to you. Colossians 2, verses 16 and 17 says this, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink. What aspect of the three parts of the law is that? Dietary, right? Don't let anybody judge you by what you eat or drink. Or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. Which one is that one? Ceremonially, right? These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So Jesus comes along and he fulfills dietary and ceremonial part. In other words, it's not about strict hygiene and a dietary code because the aspect of what the law was intended to do was to bring us to Christ because it's about the heart issue. 
is about the heart issue. And what you eat is not a heart issue. The book of Hebrews challenges all believers of Jesus to continue to embrace Him as the only hope of salvation. Too often we can find ourselves trying to keep up our faith by adding traditions back in. No one is saved because of Jesus and something else. It's only Jesus. There's still nothing you or anyone else can do to ensure forgiveness of sin. Jesus took care of it once and for all. And through faith in that fact, you can begin to grow and flourish in God's plan for you, falling more in love with your Savior every day. We're honored you spent time with us here today studying the book of Hebrews on Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to listen to more editions of Pastor Gary Hamrick's teachings in Hebrews, you can do so by visiting our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Or if you're someone frequently on the go, download our mobile app to take these messages along for the ride. What a great way to keep God's Word close at hand, no matter where this life takes you. We'd love to meet you too. So if you're in the area, come join us this Sunday at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary will lead us in another study of the Bible, and we always include time for worship and fellowship. You'll find service times, directions, and all the additional information you need at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Thanks for joining us today for Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not a Call